Here's another showbiz name you may not recognize, but boy, has this guy succeeded in an industry where, on any given day, 95% of the union is unemployed. My dear old pal, John Leslie Wolf, shares his story. John Wolf, we have known each other for 49 years. It's kind of hard to believe, and uh, you've been an actor longer than that. Welcome to the Cultural Scavenger. It's so great to have you on the program. Thank you very much, Andy. That is a shocking number, 49 years. You, it's, you, it is pretty amazing that I've, you know, you said I've been working as an actor that time. I got my equity card maybe four years before I met you. So I've, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah, well, that and, was and that, my question. And that like, sometimes that amazes me. You, you've, been, you've been an actor for longer than we've known each other. And, yeah. and so I guess the question is, why did you decide to do it? How did, how did you get into it? <laughs> uh, there was no choice. I, 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 didn't, I didn't decide. It just came on me when I was in, in well, they call it middle school now. I called it junior high school. Yeah, that was um, my, yeah. Yeah. Um, 49 I, years ago, that's what they called yeah. junior <laughs> middle school. <laughs> I my my older brother, four years older than me, was uh, sort of a musical theater star in high school. He was very talented, uh, and I I was singing from when I was you know eight years old. Probably I had I was a monotone. I had no voice at all. I just sang one or two notes. You know, yeah, I was so bad that my parents would send me out in the backyard to sing. Uh, they, I didn't want to be singing in the house. And and the neighbors kind of complained about it, too, to my parents. You know, could you make him stop making that noise? But I desperately I I was a singer, you know, in my in my little self. Um, so and you my, did. You had those two two notes, I did. but you did them well. I did. Uh, my parents, they knew I wanted to be in music. So they encouraged. Well, why don't you be in the band? So I joined the band. I played uh, trumpet and then French horn. But by the time I got to uh, high school, my voice had opened up and then I just I dropped band and just went exclusively to vocal music. And and but I knew in 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 junior high school that this is what I was going to do. I remember reading an article uh, in Time magazine about that about that period of time, about this legendary director, producer, Hal Prince. And I thought, I want to work for him. You know, and at the time, the article was probably about a Sondheim show he had directed or something like that. But uh, whatever it was, I just thought, I want to I want to go to New York for sure. And I want to work for him. Wow. I and so you did. I <laughs> did 10 different companies with him, four different original shows. Uh, I worked with him for over 30 years. So I'm a big believer in visualization, first of all. But I just never imagine doing anything else. Uh, it was, it was just, you know, I just never thought about anything else. This was, I was a really lucky person uh, and finding not only finding a passion early and then also having the ability to, to achieve it. Yeah. That's having that clarity is probably unusual. I mean, Allison yeah. had that. She, she knew, you know, at least in high school, that's what that she wanted to go into journalism, but I was, and I think probably on on my side of it, it was uh, uh, bad parenting that that probably kept me from finding <laughs> oh, that your, clarity. Your mom was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy, but uh, 
Just, uh, you know, that was the, the, the irony of it was, is that they were, you know, my mother and father were, they had a band together. I mean, he, he had a dance band. Yeah. She was a singer in the band. And, and, and yet they did not want me to go into theater or go into show. It was the, you know, it's yeah. like, how screwed up is this? And, and I fought it. I mean, you know, I, I was like, well, you know, I could probably do this, but I just never, it, it was like, no, 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 you have to be a doctor or a lawyer. And finally, you, you had a business degree, didn't you? No, I was, uh, in my quest to be quote, a quote unquote professional. I got my degree in radio TV film because it was the easiest major oh. I could find <laughs> that, that, that would hopefully get me pump my grades up to get me into law school. So, and that didn't work either. You know, I don't know if you remember, and this is a good segue because, you know, we, we met because of our work at the country dinner playhouse. Right. And I started out in Austin. And when I moved to Dallas, you and you were there, I was studying. I don't know if you remember, but I was studying for the LSAT for a while. It was like, this is like familiar. Yeah. It was like water torture. It was just, and I finally, (laughs) and then I, I, then I thought, well, I can't, I, you know, I, and I didn't get in. I'm, you know, my grades were good. My, my, my LSAT was just mediocre. And it was like, no, you know, now hell you could go if I, you could go to law school any place. It would, wouldn't matter. But, you know, I, I didn't want to go the, uh, you know, the the University of uh, Barbados uh, law school. So, so so I said, screw it. And I, I was briefly in the and this is after you'd already moved to New York, but I was briefly in the in in real estate. And I, I that was the, the epiphany for me was that when we this company with great guys. I mean, they were really nice guys. So I'm working at the playhouse and I'm going to New York or going to uh, a site visit of a strip mall in, in Ida, Oklahoma. <laughs> and that they were all excited about it. And I came back home and I literally sat in my car and cried. And I said, I cannot do this shit. I cannot. And that was, that was when I said, I'm going to, I'm okay. I'm fully in. I'm going to pursue this as a, as a, yeah. as a career. And yeah. so, you know, the long story is, is that, uh, my epiphany happened a lot further. I, I was an adult <laughs> when you figured it out in middle school. So, 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 so those, those <clears throat> speaking of the country dinner playhouse that, you know, they've cropped up in my podcast. And, and as I mentioned, that's, that's where we met. So yeah. tell me about your experience there and, and how you ended up at the country dinner playhouse. Well, I may not remember all the steps, but I had I right out of college went to the University of Kansas because they had a really good program for musical theater. It was actually an opera training program, but it was one of the few uh, regular liberal arts universities in the United States that had a program that would teach you in musical theater, whether it's opera or or musical comedy theater. And uh, so I went. The other school was, I think, Midwest. Oh, uh, mid. Uh, in Chicago, Midwestern, uh, yeah. Northwestern, Northwestern yeah. in Chicago. But in Chicago, they would not let you be on the. They would not let you work on the main stage until you were a junior or a senior in college. And I thought that's that that's bullshit. I want yeah. I want to compete from day one. So uh, Kansas, I went to Kansas University. Instead, they had a really good program. Uh, Mandy Patinkin was there my yeah. last year. Really good professors. A really good program. I got great training. Um, but so I graduated from Kansas and I went straight to New York. <clears throat> it terrified me. You know, I, here I am a what, 21 year old kid and it just scared the hell out of me. And I, I knew I was not ready, even though I knew I wanted to be there. I just wasn't ready. So I went 
during college, the first two years of college, I worked at Kansas City Starlight. That's where I got my equity card mm-hmm. in this big outdoor theater, seated yeah. 8,000 8, people. <laughs> worked there in the chorus uh, for first two years. Then I moved to, I went audition to the Dallas Summer Musicals. And uh, the next years of college, I was in the chorus of the mu- musicals at Dallas Summer Musicals. So after I had that short, that 10 weeks, uh, you know, trip to New York. After oh, was college. that what it was? I didn't realize about, you, that about, you moved to yeah, New York. Yeah. About 10 weeks, 10, about three months, we'll call it. Yeah. So, so I thought, no, I'm going to go back to Dallas. So went back to Dallas because I thought I can work there and I can, man, I can handle it psychologically. So I went back there, worked in the summer musicals again, and then started getting cast in shows uh, around town. And dinner theater was big there. There were probably four dinner theaters in yeah. Dallas. And uh, I got cast there. And somehow I met um, the, you know, the musical director it was, uh, of uh, the Haymakers. Mac McKinney. Yeah, I don't remember exactly where or how, but I met him, auditioned for him, and he put me in the Haymakers. And uh, so, as you know, I'll tell your audience that the Haymakers were a, a warm-up group that that did about twenty minutes of music before the the play or the music the play that was on going to be on that night. And uh, uh, then we would serve drinks at intermissions. You didn't handle food or anything. You just just took drinks out to tables, and, and you worked for tips and just made pockets full of money because because you got up and did this show and you know you young bunch of young bright kids and you reminded all these little old ladies of their grandkids you know and they, oh you're a nice kid here's ten dollars you know and so you know it, get me it an was, ice it was the greatest you? gig oh. that ever ever sit you yeah. know yeah and some of the little tables six tops you know would come there on a matinee and just they were really putting it down the booze you know <laughs> so then they were really passing you money yeah uh it was great fun. We did a, we did a good show. We had a really good musical group. So in the winters, I would work at, there, and uh, if they were doing a musical, it was possible I would be in the musical as well. And then in the summers, I did the Dallas Summer Musicals, and then eventually I just went exclusively to doing theater year round there. Stayed there for five years, and then I felt ready to go to New York, and so I went to New York. But but uh, so we met somewhere in that process. Uh, I guess I was already a haymaker, and you transferred up from the Austin. Uh, Austin. Uh, yeah, I think we were. Well, when I first met you, you were actually doing a show at Casa, and I, oh. I think that that um, beauty of Country Dinner Playhouse at that time, we had a manager that was very accommodating, and yeah, and with yeah. you, so it's like, yeah, if you want to do this stuff, you could you could go on hiatus. Sure, somebody would take you, but you had a you know, they were a placeholder for you yeah. so that when you got back, you just pick it right up. And and I think that was, I mean, for you and me, it was great because I think we were the only ones that really kind of took advantage of that. Yeah. I was in Austin for two years and then I moved to Dallas and you were doing 1776. Wow. That was the first time I did it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the, that's the irony. That's going to come up in a minute, but the irony of it is, is that, yeah, you did 70, 1776 there and it was just a great, I, you know, I that played, whole. I, I played Rutledge. Yeah. Molasses oh, that was, to run. that was fun. Yeah. Oh, fun. I, you know, I saw that show and I went, holy <clears throat> shit. You know, all the, that was the, I mean, that the, the, the people like Buff Shore, who, yeah. you know, was a director, you know, yeah. They they did Broadway caliber stuff. Yeah, I mean, really it, good shows. It was it was really good, very polished. Everybody in it was you know terrific. And yeah, 
to your point about our group and the people that that we sang with in the in the haymakers you know when i when i uh, got up there i thought man I got to step up my game because these these people sing loud. They sing really good and they sing really loud. <laughs> so, people that we worked with, including me, you know, it was such a great gig. You didn't want to leave. I mean, it was yeah. just it yeah. was very hard to leave that because we were making more money than most people were making. You know, in a nine to five job, and yeah, we only worked three hours a night basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was a true show business job in the best in the in the best sense of the word. Yeah, but obviously you had higher aspirations, and uh, you moved to New York. So the second go around, what was that like? The the just the adjustment from that comfortable life in Dallas, and then yeah, uh, suddenly well, finding work in New York. Um, well, I went to New York with a project. Uh, one of the the conductor at uh, Dallas Summer Musicals, Jack Lee asked me to come to New York to do a project, uh, a show, an old Jerome Kern show called Cat and the Fiddle. Mm -hmm. And he was going to do a workshop of it and uh, with hopes of getting it to some theater. And uh, people, once I met people up there, they thought I was crazy to see you came to New York for a workshop, you know, because you don't, you don't make money. You don't get paid for workshops. Yeah. You, I think nowadays you do, but back then you didn't get paid. Right. But it gave me a, it gave me a, a reason to go there. You know, you don't want to go, no, you don't want to go to New York and just wander the streets because it's an intimidating place, mm. and it's and life there is based on what the work you do. You know, you you're not going out to the lake in the daytime, like yeah. in, in Dallas. You know, it, you're there to work. <laughs> yeah. So so people will say, "What are you doing?" And if you have no answer for them, you feel like a very small person. So <laughs> I so I arrived there with a project, and it was picked up by the Cleveland Playhouse, and so then immediately went to the Cleveland Playhouse. Uh, where I met good friends, D. Hody, who became a Broadway yeah. star, and all these people. And uh, so I was in New York immediately with the project. And then uh, the producer from Dallas Summer Musicals hired me back to come play Curly in Oklahoma for a tour of all his theaters. So I had work in New York almost immediately. So the transition yeah. to New York was fabulous. And, and I bought I, you know, I was being very positive minded. Uh, uh, we rented an apartment that was walking distance to Broadway in a very nice building that we couldn't really afford, but we thought, well, we'll just have to work hard enough to afford it. And um, um, I wish I still had that apartment. It's yeah, bad. I wish you did too. I wish we yeah. had that apartment. Well, that's right. You live there too. Uh, but uh, you, you saw my apartment. You moved in the building. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we, that's another thing. We kind of followed yeah. each other around. I mean, you, you, you know, going back to, you know, moving to New York with a project, yeah. it's kind of like the old adage, nobody likes a stranger. So if, you know, you really needed to, yeah, I'm sure there are people that just sort of like, okay, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to become a star and I don't know anybody. Even Usually the, those people that, that do that um, and, and are successful, they look like Brad Pitt. I, I didn't have, didn't have that luxury. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was, it was not, so you have to, you lean on, Okay, who do I know up here? It, you know, yeah. I want to do this, but I I got to know people. Unfortunately, yeah, I knew you. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I couldn't get you any jobs, but I no, but it, but you but you but I, I was able to you. crash on the on the couch until I found that place in the building in the Park Vendome, which was it yeah. really was a terrific place that we couldn't afford, but it was God, it was you know it was it was a nice place. Of course, I think maybe the rent for my one-bedroom apartment was under four hundred dollars. I'm not sure, 
but uh, so that will tell you how long ago it was. Yeah. Oh, I remember mine was, <laughs> I, I, I think mine was $600 for a studio. And I was like, my God in heaven, how am I going to do when, when uh, rents in Dallas were going for like 200 bucks a month, you know, for sure. a nice, for one bedroom, sure. you know, <laughs> I followed you to New York and then you, you followed me to Bowie. You moved to, because uh, we were ready to, to leave New York. We, we had a child and just didn't, and it was the, what the, like 1979, 1980, and we didn't, New York was not a happy place. Then. No. And uh, so we wanted to leave the city. We, what you know, what market, we still want to be able to get to New York, and I still want to have theater, to place to work in theater, so Washington, D.C. market seemed perfect. So you had already moved down here, and so you said, check out Bowie, Maryland. It's a great place. So we did and bought, uh, it was back Real houses were selling very fast then. It was all. It was like you know six months ago. Yeah. Uh, when houses were getting multiple offers. Right. And we 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 made a full uh, price offer on the house here, and uh, the realtor said, "Yo, you got to up that, or you won't you won't get it." So we stopped at a like a Seven Eleven and faxed him an authorization <laughs> to to have a a better offer. Better than than you know askings and uh, and we got the house fortunately and it's been a great house we we raised our kids here and and it's been a wonderful place and yeah. I I've, I've done since moving here I did two Broadway shows and and a, a lot of shows here in D.C. and several national tours and stuff so it was a place that was convenient I could still get to show business and you managed to kind of have the best of both worlds living in a yeah. in a house and you know, like yeah. you know some sense of normalcy. Yeah. But then you've yeah. been able to pursue the businesses as well. Um, Which we wanted to give our kids a, a sense of normalcy. We had already moved out to New Jersey and had a house there because I was fortunate. I did a number of Broadway shows right off and or, or a lot of Broadway work right off and uh, not a lot of shows, but a couple of shows for a long time. Yeah. So we were able to buy a. I was able to buy us uh, an apartment in in Manhattan in the village, and then I we left and moved bought a house in in uh, New Jersey, but New York just wasn't a happy place then, and uh, you no. know there, it was controlled by the 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 window washers. You know you you drive yeah, the into the city guys. and they just they just attack you in the, the yeah. panhandlers on the street and stuff. And and uh, Giuliani came in as mayor, and of course he has since gone crazy. But <laughs> but he uh, did clean it up. I mean, but I, he cleaned New York up and did a great job with it, and uh, sort of brought help bring business there and all that stuff. And so it got better. But at the time we were living there, it was a rough place. So yeah, we didn't want to raise kids there. But you've done, you have done a ton of shows. I mean, you've done it, Avita. Yeah. You did when I moved to New York. You, you had just gotten into into Avita. Yeah. I mean, you've done that was uh, my second Broadway show, and I did it for. Five years. Uh, I did it for a year in New York, and um, tra- then I traveled to went to Chicago. Did it for a year there, and then I got a tour and traveled for around the country and went to Europe for three years. So that was five years. With, that was that. That's what bought my apartment in New York. You know, right? Uh, prior, prior prior to that, I had done a show called Sarava, which oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> nobody's <laughs> nobody's heard of. I went to an audition. Once you know, the guy looked at my resume and said, "You're the one that did Sarah, you know." But uh, <laughs> you're the only one that did it. You're the only one, and the only one that's still in New York. Um, <laughs> but it was a show written by Mitch Lee, who wrote Man of La Mancha, yes. yeah. and he had he had all the money in the world, and he just kept, you know, he just kept it open. He kept the show open, but he didn't want to open the show. He didn't want to have an opening night because he knew it would get trashed. 
So, <laughs> so we never opened. And, and I, after six months of it, six of us left that show and went to Evita. But uh, eventually the critics made him open. They just declared, they bought their own tickets and declared, this is your opening night. They came and they trashed it. And, and then it, it was la- gone. Yeah, and then it was gone. <laughs> but it, it lasted, you know, almost a year. Wow. And he, he was the first one to introduce television commercials for shows. You saw the Sarabach commercial yeah. every, every 10 minutes. And uh, right next to the crazy me, Eddie ads. Yeah. It provided <laughs> me with almost a year of Broadway work. So, I was, wow. You are the quintessential acting road warrior. You were on the road for a long time with, with Evita. And, yeah. for, and the, the one that sticks out for me is the you were in Phantom in Vegas for what, six years? Six and a half years. Um, how and did I, you tell me how you. <laughs> I got to tell you, it was the best six and a half years and the worst six and a half years of my life in, in both things for three hours a night. It was the best six years. You're singing with a 30, like, like a 32 piece orchestra in an enormous show, bigger than the New York show. They added people and they added uh, special effects and they added uh, stuntmen and they added things that New York couldn't add because of the, the physical properties of the theater. They built right. a brand new theater uh, for that sh- to house that show. And we had technical stuff that, that were just unheard of. But, uh, and, and again, Hal Prince directed that show, uh, but I could not have done it with, I have a very unusual wife, unusual in the sense yes, that you she do. was willing to let me do that. But, you know, our common goal was to raise children and get them through college and stuff like that. And Phantom put my kids through college. And yeah. gave, it was it was very hard on us as a, a couple. We, it's not that we suffered as a couple, but we were never together. We saw each other every like maybe every two months. Yeah. And, uh, it was a very difficult period. So I was very, very lonely. But I had this amazing work to go to every night. So, you know. Ultimately, it paid off. The sacrifice yeah. paid off, and Brenna is still your wife, which is yeah. th- that was good. <laughs> she, she hasn't kicked you to the curb yet. No, no. So the the great thing about being an actor is there's no retirement age, and and it, you know, assuming you can find a job, uh, yeah. you're in your seventies. Hard to believe. Uh, sure. And don't, and, t- don't tell anybody, but that is I, yes, that's right. He looks great. He doesn't, you know, for those <laughs> that are listening now, he doesn't look 70 in his seventies at all. Well, maybe he's got that corrective juvenile on. I don't know. But, <laughs> well, and, but and anytime anybody asks me my age, I remind them it's illegal for them to ask me my age. That's, so I, that's true. You know, so, and some people get really pissed at you that if you don't, won't tell them your age. They get really, really? annoyed, and, and I, I get a, I make a game out of it, and it's just kind of fun for me. But <laughs> Brenna and I are both fortunate. We, uh, we maybe had decent genes, so uh, we've hung in there physically a little bit longer. Also, show business, let's face it, it's an appearance business. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still at the gym two or three days a week. You know, well, you, you do stuff to keep the, this is your tool, <laughs> you know, yes. this little this little thing you live in is your tool so so you got to take care of it and you've made a great uh, transition from leading man to character, character man character yeah actor. yeah, yeah I a, sort character of embraced, actors are much more fun i i my mother started me i lost my hair real early my mother started me in hair pieces early on when i was in college and but back then you needed hair to work as a leading man and yeah. i was a leading man type eventually 
hair started not being the only, you know, uh, marker of masculinity for right. a man. And uh, maybe Ewell Brenner helped that. But um, so eventually I could take my hairpiece off. And I, I think it was probably Evita when I was first able to, to completely take it off and just never wear it again. Uh, and I began transitioning to character roles, which you have to do eventually anyway. And it yeah. has been way more fun. The leading guy gets to kiss the girls, and that's fun. And it, but he's mostly smiling through the whole show. Right. And it's a whole lot more fun. I've played mostly pretty nasty guys. Yeah, um, those are the most, the most fun to play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's next? You, you're, next you've, got, uh, you've got another, another gig coming up. I do. I'm speaking of nasty guys. I'm going to play Judge <laughs> Judge Turpin in Sweeney Todd. Uh, he's a really nasty guy, and uh, uh, I mean just despicable, you know. But it's it. But it'll be fun. It's going to be at uh, Signature Theater in Virginia, uh, which has a long relationship with Sondheim. They they yeah. Sondheim was a friend of that theater from the very beginning when they were in a barn out somewhere in Virginia. And uh, uh, they've always done his shows and he would always come down and see them and help them with the shows and stuff like that. So they have a long relationship with him. And now that he has passed away this year, they're doing three sometimes shows and I'm doing one of them. I've worked at signature quite a bit yeah. uh, over the years. And, and uh, I played Sweeney uh, years ago and that was kind of a life changing role because he's pretty dark himself and you have mm -hmm. to reach pretty deep into your psyche to to find uh whatever it is that would lead a man to just start murdering people yeah you know and uh in a in a musical <laughs> yeah, in a, that's right a light-hearted uh, romp yeah well it's yeah a, and you you've had the the luxury of, of being in that uh sondheim hal prince sort of mafia as it were and it's really yeah. worked it's it's worked out i, I mean it, it is was, all about who you know to a degree i mean you got obviously you got to bring the goods and back it up but uh um, well that little that little crossover of people you know i had worked for hal prince and and his conductor was uh gimignani paul gimignani oh yeah yeah and gimignani was also sondheim's conductor Mm -hmm. So when I met Gimignani, he was conducting Evita. And then the next time I would meet him, I went to the audition for Passion, which was Sondheim's show, which Hal Prince did not direct, but Gimignani was conducting. So I walked in. I, I had an appointment, but I couldn't go because I was doing another job that day. So I just went to the open call, walked in, and Paul Gimignani happened to be there. And he said, why are you, what are you doing here? And I just explained to him, this was my window. I right. couldn't come to what my call when I had an audition. So I, <laughs> I'm here at the open call and whatever. So he said, well, go get a script and come back tomorrow for the callbacks. And, and uh, so because I knew Paul Gimignani, he knew my work. Then I was yeah. able to get a real audition for Passion. They saw about 2,000 guys for my role, wow. I think, for the men in the show. And I got the show and then worked with Paul for another year or so. So those crossovers of not only people you know, but people who, who know your work. That That's and, the and most important thing, that they know, know you. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, know that you, yes, you can sing and you can act and those things, but also that you will show up on time yeah. and that you're, that you're not a pain in the ass to be in the room, you know. Right, right. So when are you going to follow me again and, and move to retire to, <laughs> to Southern Virginia? <laughs> well, uh, like you said, with show business, you don't have to retire. So I'm not going to. However, you know, once you reach a certain age and you 
I took my retirement. Uh, I, I'm fortunate. I had pension plans from oh, Actors Equity, and from Screen Actors Guild. Yeah. And so my mortgage gets paid. I don't have the same need to work in order just to pay bills and stuff like that. So I can be a little more selective. And because I have gotten older, I don't want to work all the time. I, right. You know, I did, I did Christmas Carol at Ford Theater for, I think, 11 years. So I was never home for Christmas. I, you know, every night, dinner, we'd have a quick dinner at 530. And then I'd race out the door to the theater. Christmas Day, we had two shows. You know, Christmas was always held in advance uh, because I was doing a show and I don't have to do that anymore. Everybody, if you're in the D.C. area, go see John at, uh, in Sweeney Ton at, at the Signature Theater. It's coming when? Yeah, well, we start in May. We open in, uh, in May. mid-May. And right. It'll run for about 12 weeks. Awesome. John Wolf, my great old pal. It's great to see you. Thank you, Andy. Good to Alrighty. talk to you. You bet. You too. Take care. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker. And I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.